Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello and welcome. Joining me today to share the 10 best spiritual books that inspired her life journey is Louise Mara. Louise has held senior leadership and governance roles within government, the private sector, philanthropy, and the NGO sector. She's been an advisor to the prime minister. I'm assuming as Louise lives in New Zealand, that is the New Zealand prime minister. And she's led a collaborative government office and aided the setup of social innovation labs, both for government and for philanthropy. Louise has also studied collective and intergenerational trauma for many years, and she now runs her own company, Unity House. She's a founder of the Emerge Institute, a catalyst for the Centre for Social Impact. And for 12 years, she was the director of the New Zealand Leadership Programme. And if that's not enough, she's also the author and founder of Reroute, a social enterprise and book aimed at creating a new world from a connected place with the earth, across species and with each other. Louise Mara, welcome. I think we have a frozen, uh... yep, I think we have, Louise is frozen. Louise is in Spain right now, so I think that her um, internet is maybe not as uh, reliable as we would normally want it to be. There you are. You're back again. Can you hear me, Louise? I'm there. I think we're having some internet issues. Are yeah, you able I seem to, to come and go? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now, Sandy. You can hear me now. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, I've just uh, given the introduction, told our viewers all about you. Um, now let's talk a little bit about you um, and certainly your relationship with books. I know that you think that it's a very cool thing that I asked you to do <laughs> to reduce your friends, deep profits and transformers, as you call them, into a list of just 10. So how did you manage it? Yeah, it was a beautiful task. Um and certainly I found it slightly cruel because they're so precious to me. So to actually kind of rate them or in the top 10, um, yeah, it was quite a task for me. So, but a beautiful one. I so enjoyed the process of it. And yeah, even if you'd said 100, that might have been hard. Yeah, yeah. I really liked your description of your experience of uh, your relationship with books. You said they've saved me, rewired me, stretched me, held me, blessed me, challenged me, each in their own precious way. 
books open up universes, new rivers in my being, making me a more full and braided river. That's a beautiful description. Yeah, thank you. And it's so true, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, they really provided the nourishment, guidance, expansion that I've, you know, that I needed in my life. And I carried them with me and many of them right through my life, which was kind of my criteria for choosing them. And I feel so grateful. I feel so grateful for the transmissions of people through books. Not all books are that, of course, but some are so powerful. Yeah, the one that do are very, very special. I also have to confess I feel a kinship with your reader's self in so many ways because you don't read one at a time, neither do I. You would travel on holiday in pre-Kindle days with a whole suitcase. Um, So would I. And you even share my guilty secret the blasphemous tossing of a book across the room because it disappointed you. Uh, That's that's a terrible thing to do for a book, you know, so we only reserve it for the terrible books. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was also a moment of extreme frustration with myself of trying to live into these spiritual books and not being able to, and then the kind of judgment that can come. And I was just like, I'm sick of all of this. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it was one such moment that led to the creation of the No BS Spiritual Book Club. Uh-huh. Let's move on to talk about your books. Um, your first book, first book on your list is by the winner of the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award, Mary Oliver. And the book is Belief and the Cloud, a poem, published in 2001. A poem, we don't often get poems. Um, so tell us, what was it about this particular book? really grabbed you yeah I'm sure you know Mary Oliver Sandy I know Um, of her I confess I haven't read her work wow well such a treat to wait awaits you um yeah she she is such a gift to the world she passed I think two years ago but um she has the most incredibly incredible ability to kind of help you open yourself to your interbeing self, to kind of the assemblage of you, the way we interact with the natural world, and just just to refine beauty in the most simple things. And Leaf and Cloud is one continuous poem about her life. And it's a blessing, really. She gives you such a blessing as she walks you through her life to help you inhabit more of yourself walking through your own life it's um it's it's a masterpiece and she's written so many so many poetry books but this is kind of one continuous poem that you can sort of get immersed into her world the natural world and yourself as the natural world so yeah she's extraordinary writer do you remember when and how that book came into your life I remember I was 40 because it inspired me to write my own book around um, I'm a woman of 40. She starts hers off, I'm a woman of 60, and kind of then lets you into herself. And I wrote my own book around, and I think I was really in intense work, 
on the external world and I really wanted to really understand my internal world better. So that book really met me, got me back into writing poetry and to seeing my own story as a poem, my own self as a poem. So, How did that change your view of yourself? How did that? I think when you start to work with poetry, view yourself as a poem, many more things can be included. It's not as sharp as the way we often live. You can you can bring more of yourself into a poem and look at it without sort of judgment or criticality. It's not a critical analysis. It's not a left brain thing. Hmm. Interesting. I don't think I've ever tried that. Mm. But as you say, it's certainly uh, a book to look out for. So book number two, The Book of Life by Krishnamurti, Daily Meditations with Krish Krishnamurti, 1995. And you say that this book helped every day orient, orientate yourself out of trauma vortexes. Yeah, so while Mary Oliver helps you inhabit yourself, Krishnamurti is more like a slap in the face. <laughs> but now and then you just need that because when you're kind of stuck in these kind of trauma vortexes, then it's very hard to come out on your own. And sometimes he just kind of woke me up and reorientated me to something that I could have a different, a different way of viewing my story of what I was in and... Yeah, I found him very profound and I walked with him for many years. But I used him when I felt like I needed that because sometimes I didn't need that. Sometimes you don't mm. need kind of the slap in the face. Sometimes you need the warm and the, you know, the soulful, the soulfulness of like Mary Oliver. So, but yeah, there was kind of a almost an orchestra in the way I put together these books because of what difference they did for me as I walked. So I didn't want just one way, you know, one, one type of profit. It was a whole range of them that I could then walk with, journey with. Yeah, they, yeah. So he had quite a specific role in my, in my life. Did you read many of his books? I did read some others of his books, and you're going to ask me, and I've forgotten what other one. It was that one that I really kept going back to. Mm. This is the one that you say you carried with you, travelled with you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, book number three is A Path with Heart, A Guide Through the Perils and Promises of Spiritual Life by Jack Cornfield, and that one was published in 1993. Are you... You're not doing this in the order that you actually read these books? No. No. Okay. Mm. No. So Jack Cornfield, I mean, yes, he's inspired so many people. Yeah. Mm. And he, he really does such a good job of including the mind and the heart. He really helps you make sense, which was important to me, and to feel have a relationship with your heart work with your heart 
because some people just go into the hat, but you don't know what to do with the sense making. And some people try and make sense, but what do you do with the hat? He does such a brilliant job of bringing those things together. And I needed that mentalization, rationalization as well as and his background in Buddhist psychology, you know, it, it's so sense-making. So he's kind of much more a soothing balm, say, than Krishnamurti. He's mm. much more soothing in his, yeah, he's got such a balm-like quality as well as quite piercing, but in a very gentle way. Um, it's a beautiful book too. It's a beautiful book to kind of read over a year, I think. Mm. Yeah. You seem to have, um, you seem to be drawn to, you know, you talked about Mary and the poem. Um, you've got a poetic nature, haven't you? Very poetic nature. I mean, you can tell that from the way you write and the way you talk about these books, you know, like them being an orchestra in your life. I wonder what you what instrument each book would be. Yeah, what a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna That's an interesting one. That winter. Yeah. yeah. And your next book, I mean, this is one that has come up a few times and I've just begun to notice, um, and you're probably responsible for that, that it seems to come up with those that have a very poetic nature. And it is Anamkara, Book of Celtic mm. Wisdom by John Donoghue, published in 1996. What was it about John Donoghue's work that, uh, what did it do for you? What did it do in your life? What did it shift? Yeah, he is again, see, I love all of these, eh? As you mentioned them, I fall in love with them all over again. I just feel my love for them. I mean, he is deeply poetic mm. and he taught me what it was like to be my own best friend, like what it was like to actually befriend myself. And me, like many others, had, you know, in some ways was so full of self-hatred and self-flagellation. And, yeah, he really... You know, these books rewire our thinking and our brains and our neural pathways. And so to go from thinking I was something that needed to be fixed and sorted and mended and better and more to something that actually I could be friends with was, you know, they was just such a reorientation again to life. So... I think I said to you, like I read that book on a, you know, often naked on a private beach just because I needed to, mm. in the sun, outside, just glorying in the delight of what it would be like to inhabit his worldview and start to embody it in yourself. How did you, you talk about becoming your own best friend. How did you do that? Was that difficult? Yeah, and I'm still doing it. You know, that sowed the seed and opened something, but I'm still doing that. And I love it. Like, um, it's a generosity to myself. It's a curiosity. It's a, it's a, 
the grace I can hold myself with, but it also allows me to just take myself out for dinner to a nice restaurant on my own and just really enjoy myself and be curious about this weird being that makes me up. And it's a really beautiful thing. Mm. It's such an interesting way of looking at it and an interesting thing to learn to practice because I would imagine that in the beginning it takes commitment and thought and uh, intention. Mm, intention, yeah, intention and practice in a way. Yeah, and practice, yeah, because it's not our natural way. It's not how we're conditioned in yeah. this world. yeah. Yeah, but then to go, ah, how could I be my friend in this? How could I befriend myself in this? And it also made me have less expectations on my friends the more that I could kind of befriend myself. So that was a very beautiful thing as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something we don't often think about. Mm. Book number five, Pathways to Bliss, Mythology and Personal Transformation by Joseph Campbell. This one was published in 2004. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of his lesser known books, but, you know, it did open the possibility of bliss. Like it actually opened in me the possibility that I could choose a life with bliss, not just a life that was hard or yeah, like effort and excruciating. It was, it did open something in my being again to go, wow, actually something can follow, be allowed and uh, move with also things that bring me joy, bring me bliss. So it, I remember that helped me put a lot more things into my life that actually just brought me joy, but weren't useful. I stopped having to be useful. So helpful to everyone, which of course is an early childhood strategy. Mm. So, and I still, yeah, I love pleasure. And I love that I love pleasure. Whereas in some ways being brought up in, in more of a Catholic environment where pleasure is sinful or, you know, it taught me just to really love pleasure. And I love simple and beautiful pleasures and I love that I love it. So he kind of opened up, they all open something in your body system, hey, so he sort of really opened up bliss for me. So would you say that since then your life has predominantly been a life of bliss? <laughs> no, I definitely wouldn't say that. <laughs> but I would say I include it yeah. in my, you know, and I'm not trying to get it anymore. I can just include it. And that's where Mary Oliver's so good too, the simple things. So it's like in each moment it also allows for that as well as allows for whatever is arising really from the past to restore. So I don't chase a life of bliss, but I have that capacity to mm. find it. Mm. That's yeah. beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So book number six is The Secret Teachings of Plants, The Intelligence of the Heart in the Direct Perception 
with Nietzsche by Stephen Howard Buner, published in 2004. Yeah, I don't know if you know him, but oh, again, what a treasure. And he he's also passed now, but he was one of the early writers of plants. And the he wrote one, The Mystical Life of Plants as well. And his, I think it's the first part of it, they're big books and the first part's scientific and the second part's all poetic and takes you into the plants. So the first one is kind of, the first, you know, part of the book, he's opening you to possibility of plants as kind of intelligent feeling beings. And then the second part, you get to inhabit that. I was never the same after that. I never felt again so separate from the natural world and it's like layers of fungi in us are also communicating with layers of fungi around us like we're like this assemblage of rivers a confluence of rivers so it helped me feel myself in quite a different way after I read that book it's remarkable and I wrote in there I wrote to him and he wrote back, and we ended up with quite a beautiful exchange, um, yeah, which I really valued. But it's, it's not often an author will actually write back. And Very true. It's interesting how much we're beginning to hear now about the consciousness of plants. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Which I find fascinating. Yeah. And he was an early writer, as there were some others. Um, and of course, got attacked. And uh, you know, humans are—we're slow to catch on on some things, aren't we? We're slow to catch on on this, you know, this interbeing nature that we all inhabit. This, you know, we've been in such denial and such human superiority. I love seeing and not inhabiting human superiority. In quite the same way so his books are remarkable for that yeah I was reading some notes about this book and um, it said something like there are in fact two modes of cognition available to all human beings the brain-based linear and the heart-based holistic yeah and we forget it, that yeah we forget that mm, yeah yeah so we're going to take a short break now um, and then we'll read back with the other uh, four books we've already done six four books left in your um, 10 best list so stay tuned we'll be back Thanks in a few so minutes home times tv maya angelou once said that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you i'm sandy sedgbeer and when I'm not hosting Omtimes Media's flagship radio show, What Is Going On, and the No BS Spiritual Book Club, I help people share their untold stories. Books are my life, my joy, and my passion. And there is no greater reward than helping aspiring writers get their books out of their heads and into the hands of those who are waiting to read them. If you feel that you have a book in you, but don't know where to begin, visit sedgebeer.com, click on the Work With Me tab, and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you've been looking for. That's sedgebeer.com, S-E-D-G-B-E-E-R.com. Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself 
invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Ohm Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Ohm Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Ohm Times Magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Ohm Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Ohm Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Ohm Times, open yourself to the possibilities. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Welcome back. Louise Mara, book number seven on your list is Man and His Symbols, a popular presentation of the essential ideas of Jungian psychology. Carl Jung, of course. Yeah, I mean, I would love that it was called Woman <laughs> or Humans. But that's the name of the book. But, um, yeah, it's... It's again a capacity, eh? We have all these capacities that we don't develop. But to me, Carl Jung develops the capacity of mystery and to hold everything in a bigger container, a bigger container. So we can get so linear, judgmental, um, this violence of being perfect. And he just lifts you out into the mystery of things and to hold yourself in a with a sense of mystery that you will never know who you are that there's so many forces at play that there are many different ways to read yourself and others and hold others with a sense of mystery and awe um i just i mean he is an absolute master. I've got his big red book as well and um, always, always expands, expands me. You know, some things can marry you. This is always so expansive. So, again, these books like this, they just, um, they're rewiring. They hold you. They expand you. They're yeah, so that is a beautiful book and not too hard to understand for people who find Jungian psychology very impenetrable. Mm, yeah, you said that it always took you out of judgment and despair. Yeah, mm. yeah, because that's a very kind of like, um, you know, it's a river, there's rivers of trauma we've all been born into a collective intergenerational religious trauma that just help us, you know, that just mean we see ourselves in such a narrow, judgmental, self violent way. And 
all of these books, but this book as well, just bring you back out and help you see that river, include it, but not buy into it. Mm. Um, That's that river. Transpersonal psychology is done a lot for psychology, I think, to help not, you know, not um, make everything so concrete. This is the problem with you. You need to do... It's totally different. It doesn't psychopathologize at all. Mm. Well, talking of big red books, our next book is called Rumi, the Big Red Book, uh, yeah. obviously yeah. translated by Coleman Barks. And this one was published in 2010. And you said every morning reading a Rumi poem filled your bones with the timeless, the eternal love that is the growth serum of life. Beautifully phrased. Mm. yeah and it so does hey like Rumi is just a blessing mm. Re- reading Rumi's receiving a timeless blessing and I still start my day reading a poem every day you do yeah often from the Red Book Mary David but I still I have a whole range of poets and I love starting my day that way and some of them have such a transmission of a blessing and his is that, the joy, the lightness, the, you know, this um, d- delight, deliciousness of life. It's a beautiful way to start the day rather than starting on your cell phone looking at what you have to do. So it's a thing that stayed with me for most of my life, just to read a poem in the morning. Sounds like a very good idea. Really sets your energy for the day, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So book number nine, Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, published in 1972, another book that you say has been a pillar for you. Yeah. Someone randomly gave that to me. I hadn't known it. Um, Must have been 20 years ago. And it's 86 kind of poems in a way of wisdom ancient Chinese wisdom and yeah they just again are like a transmission of sacred text into your being that opens something it's like things that hold a a sacredness they kind of go inside you and bring fresh air and open your cells and I can breathe and and it's quite challenging too, um, the Tao Te Ching, actually. Um, some things you just can't quite get yet. So then I just ruminate with them until one day I go, I get that poem. Mm. I get that poem. And these, you know, they're often short and it's used a lot, hey, the Tao Te Ching, but it's a beautiful thing to just read yourself, have by your bed read a little bit in the morning you know these things again they stretch us out of our more limited ways of seeing being holding ourselves holding others so yeah it's a beautiful book you said that you were almost obsessed with this book going through each poem slowly digesting walking with reading reading others commentaries of and then one day, it just left you. Why do you think it just left you? Do you think you'd reached a stage where you didn't need it anymore? 
Um, I think I definitely reached a stage where I needed to move on to other things. Because it's so timeless, it also stretches time. And I think I needed to be more immediate. But it had done its main magic. It, 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 you know, each book that you read is an alchemy with you. It's not a consumption. I think we've got to get out of consuming books and find the alchemy of ourselves with a book. So then it's a relationship. And sometimes the relationship's like, ah, oh, that's finished now. And it was just amazing that it was finished. So the alchemical reaction of me with that book, the alchemical process had, had finished. But I still pick it up now and then, but not not journey with it in the same way. Mm. Do you find well, that you, the book is such an alchemical process? I think it, absolutely it is, but I don't... You know, I, it's certainly not my way to spend you know, a long time with a particular book. Um, you know, the magic happens and I'm on to the next one. And because I have to read so many books, yeah. know, whether I've trained myself to do that or yeah. whether that's just, you know, m my way. But no, I don't spend uh, a lot of time with them. But I do love a book where I know I can feel the alchemy occurring. Yeah. They're the special ones for me. And they're usually the simple ones. The very simple universal truths. Yeah. And I think that's why I chose some of these books that you can't actually read. You have to travel with, like the you know, the big red book or the you know, they aren't something you can actually read because you can't I can't digest it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you almost have to absorb. Yeah, you have to absorb slowly. They don't let you in. Yeah. yeah. Quick. Mm. Yeah. Well, book number 10 on your list, I was pleased to see, because this is not just a book. As far as I'm concerned, it is a, a, an incredible piece of, um, piece of the pie that we've been given, like astrology and numerology and uh, human design, which helps us understand who we are and mm. yeah, how to live our lives to the full potential. And this is the Gene Keys, embracing your higher purpose, but not higher purchase, <laughs> higher <laughs> purpose by Richard Rudd, which was published in 2011. And again, you say this is more of a journey than a book. It Enjoy is. One. Yeah. Yeah. These are journeys. I mean, isn't it a remarkable, yeah. remarkable book? Yeah. Yeah. And not really a book. <laughs> I don't even, a book doesn't really even describe what it is. But, yeah, the it's very poetic as well. But I love that within the shadow, within the wound, is the restoration, is the higher gift, is the potential of full blooming you know, the way he's written it with the, the three layers in each. I mean, it's just remarkable. And, again, totally expensive so that you get to have a much fuller version of yourself and of the universe we live in. Deeply how profound. Did, how did you feel about what it revealed about you, about your wound, about your purpose? Um, 
I love things that shed light on the wounds because then I can enter into them with light and with something, with resources. So again, going into these without judgment, but with potential in the wound. Hey, what a beautiful orientation. And then it's a bit of a map of how to work with them mm. and what the what the higher purpose of those are. So I anything that opens those up to be set free in a way, these wounds can be set free. Anything that does that I find exhilarating because then I'm not stuck in the patterns that they cause. I have freedom. So there's so many things that we need to set ourselves free from. So I find that a very free way of doing it. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, that's your 10 best list. Now let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about your lineage. Well, I live and was born in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I, we would say whakapapa, which means my ancestral lines are both to Māori, I belong to the Ngāi tribe, and also to European lineages, Irish, English, French, Italian. So I think of myself, that's why I said as a braided river where all these lineages come together. I actually work quite a lot in decolonization so I work both I'm both colonized and the colonizer so it's been a deep process for me to bring these rivers together in my being with some harmony and work in this field so yeah those are my lineages. Mm. your passion you say is to help build the next era of conscious leaders innovators activists and organisations robust enough to enable radical innovation or an emergent and evolutionary approach to personal, social and environmental change. That is quite a mission. <laughs> it's quite a mission. <laughs> yes, you've accepted there. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's in some ways kind of simple in my being. And which is why I wrote my book, Reroot, which is in some ways we're in a distortion, disconnection, creating our life or creating change. So we would, you know, say we're in, we're in trauma patterns, separation, disconnection, or we're in the flow of life where we're connected to earth, we are earth, we are planet, and we're in... We can, you know, connected solutions are so different than disconnected solutions. And disconnected solutions need, need often to plan and fix and sort, whereas connected solutions actually are highly emergent. And people have this ability, and we've got to create our solutions from that connected place. So that's, that's how I um, simplify it in some ways quite starkly different places. So how does this play into your reroute course and your book? And trees. Yes. <laughs> trees. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, so I I feel that it's all of our responsibility to get connected. And that's mm. a radical act in today's world to no longer accept that it's just to me ridiculous that there's humans and then there's nature. So that they're totally separate things. That's not true on any level. So then for me, it's okay, we've all can sew ourselves back one stitch at a time into the flow of life and back into relationship with how the, you know, the whole flow of life includes how the earth flows and how everything flows. Trees are really built to co-regulate with humans. They help give us a simple way to do that. So I wrote Reroot just as a, I tried not to make it overwhelming, keep it simple, and it's got about 50 processes just to give a go to find your really into being self that can get into the flow. And I feel if every person... Well, not everyone's going to do it, of course, but if we get it, it's to create a movement, this global human tree forest, then we'll have enough humans that are connected and connected across species and our solutions will be quite different for our world. Are you familiar with Dam and Her, the Italian community? Um, one of the things that they do is they um, have a very special relationship with trees and um, they have a a program or a process where, and I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but, but people are connecting with and almost um, creating a relationship with a particular tree in their area. Um, how do you, when you're doing your course, how do you take people through these processes? Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that, but I feel really excited when you tell me. So I must get that from you after to have a look. But because it's a profound thing to actually feel your connection. It's not a thinking thing. So the book in some ways helps you go and find a tree. And then step by step to form a relationship. But what it's really doing also is creating the wiring in your system for this connective tissue between yourself and the natural world. So our ability to sense and communicate and be part of humans of human superiority pulled themselves out. So the process, and it is, you know, it does take some, you know, effort, but they're simple processes. But by the end, you really will have built that function, that capacity in yourself. Because we keep thinking we can get well on our own as a separate unit, but that's not true. So I kind of talk about instead of only becoming mindful, becoming natureful. And then you have a whole planet of support. Yeah. for yourself, for your nervous system. So it's really trying to build capacity as you go through the process. And it's delightful. Trees are a blessing. You know, it's interesting how many people you come across who actually, you know, have a specific tree that they love. I mean, in my village, there's a little stand of four of them. And it's just like I feel like there's something special going on in the middle of of this four and I try 
to stand there and you know tune into what it might be but I haven't discovered that yet but it's such a special um, little stand of trees why that stand as opposed to any other in the village I don't know mm. I love it it's like I can feel it as you talk about it and so that would be that calls you and you know in the courses and I've got a um, self-paced course that takes people through it but I often ask, think of a favourite tree when you grew up. And it's amazing, the energy in the room and what happens to a human as they talk about it. They soften. They become wider. Yeah. It's something different, eh, than this mm -mm, mm -mm, that we can get into. So even as you speak of those four trees and something is special going on there. Yeah, well, you've just reminded me of something that I had forgotten and that is that when I was a child um, you know, before I was 10 I was always to be found sitting in a particular tree reading fairy tales wow <laughs> so yes you've just reconnected me with that moment and you can also tap into that tree now like that would have done a lot for you I don't know much about your life Sandy but I bet that did a lot for what you needed mm. yeah yeah I'm sure Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, tell me about your keywords. You know, we usually ask our guests to give us some keywords, not just the usual, um, you know, CV kind of I'm an artist, I'm an author, I'm a whatever, but something a little bit quirky, you know, that gives us some insight into the person behind the bio. And you've come up with the most interesting I've seen so far. You call yourself an artist of the invisible. What does that mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, ever since I was a young girl, brought up really remote in New Zealand in our tribal land, I wanted to see. And I felt there was so much that could be seen that you couldn't see. So I've really learned to sense, see energy, work with energy, feel it, feel what's going on for a person. And, you know, it's just you can hold a person in a narrow place or you can hold another person in a much bigger context, their ancestors, their connection to earth. Their... So... I love, I love seeing the invisible and bringing all that intelligence into the room. And it always opens my heart to a commitment to seeing another in their fullness, with wholeness, which includes the, the you know, the, all the intergenerational pain we're transforming in these times. So... Yeah, it really means a lot to me that. And I've spent a long time developing those capacities that we all have. Mm. Yeah. And I run groups, a lot of groups. So there's a group energy, there's a collective energy, there's always a collective process, there's an energy of those four trees, there's a transformer, you know, all that. So you, um, I said earlier in the intro that you had been an advisor to the prime minister. Which prime minister was that? Mainly, um, I was employed when Helen Clark was um, there, and then I mainly worked with John Key. Um, and how did what you just described to us, you know, being an artist of the invisible, 
how did that integrate with that position? <laughs> I can, very curiously, I think I was a very curious person to them. But I, you know, there's a lot going on in those places, eh? And I felt like, um, you know, I was in the center of power. I could feel it, see it. You can feel when people are coherent or when they're in integrity. You can feel when people go out. You can feel that's why these flows. So I didn't necessarily talk about it very much right. for obvious reasons. But I really, um, yeah, I really worked with it mm. as best I could. But a lot, I've also developed a lot more since that time. So your other key words, tree whisperer, which of course we understand now, um, systems healer, um, navigator. What are you navigating? Yeah, it's connected to the systems healer. I work a lot in the restoration of collective intergenerational trauma and systems. And you've got to navigate, you've got to navigate a lot of, um, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of different views, a lot of ways of seeing in order to bring some meeting together of parts of our systems that can't meet. So there's a lot of meetings in the world eh, and no one really meets. We should just can all those meetings. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. quite different meetings. So I feel like um, I navigate both the restorative energy that can come in that really has the ability to restore, as well as the trauma energies that are always circling in the room. We call them the ghosts in the room. There's so many in a room. So the you know, there's ways of being that actually are restorative or there's most of the ways of being that are re-traumatising for people, even on mm. subtle levels. Mm. Yeah. And living in your full self, you can't be seen, you can't be loved, you can't be met, you can't be welcomed fully. So then you draw a bit back and then you bring something that you think's needed, but it's not who you are. And then we end up with more distortion. And Yeah. I could go on for ages, but I won't. Okay. Tell us about the living bridge part. Yeah. Um, I think because I have both indigeneity, European culture, I've had to find a way to bridge those things. But not bridge them conceptually, but bridge them, you know, with my own being and myself and with, you know, with others. I also really feel I can see and feel a future that wants to arrive. So I feel like I bridge from a future wanting to arrive to a current situation that often mentalizes a future or... Um, can't see it as in despair so I'm often feeling like I'm bridging from a new possibility something that's wanting to be born to something that is so holding you know holding the potential so I often feel like I'm bridging to what is and what um, is wanting to happen 
I think many people are looking for that future. Um, they sense it coming, but they have no idea what it yeah. looks like, what it contains. Do you have any idea? <laughs> I have lots of ideas, Sandy. <laughs> you know, the integral thing about the future wanting to arrive is that it's 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 connected. That's why I did reroute. It's a connected. We're all connected. We're all bringing our medicine. You have medicine. I have medicine. We're all in our place. There's flow again. You know, we've got to give birth to different ways of worlding, different ways of systeming through us. And I really see that once we can really do that, that's why I say it's a radical act to reroute yourself. I think I can see um, a lot of repair and restoration possible and a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more balance in the whole system. If you could recommend a book, maybe one of your 10, maybe not, maybe it's one of your 100 that you would have liked to have put forward, that people could read that might give them, um, maybe shift their perceptions about where we're going and the potentials and give them some hope. Can you think of a title? I mean, I love Charles Eisenstein, but... I mean, I just, I don't mean to be arrogant, but I just think that's what he tries to do. And it's its practical, it's simple. Um, so it's not conceptual. It's, it helps you do it through you. Um, I actually really liked the book Ways of Being by James Bridle. He goes into very scary, do you know that book? No. He goes into quite scary territory for me of AI and other things, and he really paints other possibilities. I think it's a brilliant book, actually. It's quite new, maybe a year. Mm. And Charles Eisenstein's work, which of his books do you like? Um, what's his, The more, a more World is, A More Beautiful World is Possible? Mm. Um, yeah. How hopeful are you that we are going to reach, create, co-create that beautiful world? I feel, um, I feel hopeful, but it's not going to, there's a lot of things that need to come apart. So I think there's a lot of this connective tissue to build. There's a lot that needs to come apart, but I feel hopeful that we can do that. You do. You carry a lot of hope. Yeah. Hmm. Good. Louise Mara, thank you so much for adding your 10 best list to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. It's been a treat. And thank you for stepping in at the last minute when somebody had to pull out. We would have been doing an interview with you in a few weeks time but I'm really glad it happened today yeah thank you Sandy I've so enjoyed actually being with you and yeah really beautiful to feel and be with you thank you thank you
Okay, that's it for this week. Um, if you want to know more about Louise Marva's uh, leadership projects, her organisations, institutes, her book Reroot, The Nature of Change Through the System of Trees, and the Reroot course, um, you can, and actually you can explore um, module one uh, of the Reroot course for free over the uh, Louise's website at reroot.world. That's it. Is it no.com? It's reroot.world. I love that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a meaning there. Yeah. Mm. Good. Okay. So um, that's it for this week. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer. I'll be back at the same time next week with another 10 best interview for the No BS Spiritual Book Club. Till then, it's goodbye from me. And thank you to Louise Mara. Thank you.